Wow, can you imagine 39 years of your life taken from you like that? It'd be hard not to get bitter, wouldn't you agree? I mean, it'd be hard not to be a bitter person. He went into prison whenever he was 20 years old, and now he's 59 years old. And, uh, you know, I think probably what impresses me most as I hear his story is that he's not bitter, along with the others. And uh, I guess maybe he figures this, and a lot of times people figure this, is that uh, they much of his life had already been taken from him, right? Why let, uh, why let the prison of bitterness take the rest? And, you know, we hear this word victim a lot in our society, and uh, certainly times when we hear victim, the word victim or that, or, or that expression of victim, you know, I realize that some people use that term very loosely in our culture today, and a lot of people live with a victim mentality. That's something that we see a lot, whether it's through the complaining that we hear on a regular basis, or maybe they live with this sense of entitlement, or there's an ingratitude that they live with, right? And uh, if, I, if I'm being honest, there are certainly times that I can struggle with the victim mentality a little bit. There are times where I struggle with complaining. I can be a person that can complain, and I kind of get in that mindset, and then I realize I'm complaining a lot. Or maybe I, I am just ungrateful for some of the blessings, and I realize that, and the, and the Lord convicts me of that. Sometimes I feel entitled, especially whenever I'm driving in traffic. Do you ever feel that way? I feel entitled to the road. And uh, by the way, I was thinking this this week. Do you think that God maybe right now, as we're all perhaps victims of traffic in North Texas right now, do you think God was thinking that all of us at this point need some lessons in patience? Therefore, every road in North Texas is under construction. Does everybody else get that? Do you feel like a victim of traffic? Yeah, we all feel that way, right? Well, I'm not talking about that kind of victim. I'm, I'm talking about today, what I want to speak with you about today is, is when you are genuinely mistreated. When something that is an injustice does happen in your life, and it happens all the time. Maybe you don't get locked in a prison for 39 years, right? And where, where, where someone lied about you and something like that happened or, you know, maybe, maybe that's not the case, but you're not in that kind of prison. But sometimes the circumstances that you find yourself in can feel like a prison. Sometimes that bitterness that, that maybe you are feeling in your life as a result of what someone else has done to you, that can certainly feel like a prison at times in your life. And unfortunately, injustices, at least in this world in which we live right now, they happen all the time. You see things that are mistreatments. You've all experienced it. It doesn't matter how old you are, you know. And when we go through certain things like that, they can leave us confused. They can certainly test us, test our faith. When we go through things that are, in our mindset, is an injustice or it actually is maybe at this specific time. And it causes us to wrestle with questions. And these kind of questions probably you've thought or maybe said at certain times, maybe when you're going through that tough circumstance, maybe you've thought this, God, do you really love me? I mean, do, do you really love me? If you, if you love me, God, why aren't you doing something about this right now? And that's sometimes our way of seeing it. Or maybe you've asked this question before. Why me? Why does this keep happening? Why do these things keep happening over and over again where it's like, are you kidding me? This is going on again. Or maybe you've thought this one. Are they going to really get away with this? And you see that injustice and it bothers you and you're like, it looks like they're going to get away with this. God, are you going to do something about this? But ultimately, this is what many of us feel at certain times. 
uh, especially when we're anxious, when we're worried, when we're troubled. Here's the big question that really you may not say it, but we really, if we're anxious all the time, here's what we're saying underlying in that is this, God, are you really in control? Do you have this, God? And, and so when we're worried, when we're anxious, it's because deep down inside we're wondering if God really is control of this. And those are big questions, and it's okay to ask those questions. We all ask questions like that at certain times. And it's in those times where God's ways that we'll kind of look at and we're looking at in this series, God's ways are working, and sometimes His ways are confusing to us. Right? Sometimes we, it doesn't add up, certainly from our limited perspective. When we're looking at them with a human viewpoint, our limited viewpoint that we see the things that are going on around us. I mean, in fact, God tells us this in Isaiah chapter 55. He says this in verses 8 and 9. God says this to us. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. He says, it says the Lord, and my ways are beyond anything you could imagine. He's saying, my ways that I'm working go beyond your ways of comprehending things. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so, what does he say? My ways, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, here's the deal. Most of us believe that, and we understand that God is God. We understand that he is bigger than we are. We understand that uh, we have this general belief that God really is in control most of the time. But being honest, sometimes the things that are happening in front of our eyes, they are hard to comprehend, aren't they? It's hard to look at some of the things that we see and stomach some of those things from our limited per- perspective. And, and I mean, when, in our way of seeing things, the way we look at it, when you do what is right... You're rewarded instantly. Or when you do something that's wrong, you're punished instantly, immediately. And that is a, that is a, a just way of thinking of things, okay? But here is the other problem with that is that is a finite way of thinking whenever I use the word immediately, okay? Because here's what we also see is that God's timing is not our timing. God is just. He is perfectly just. It seems only fair, though, and right... In a perfect world, which we know this present world in which we live currently is not, right? It is broken. Because of sin, this world is flawed. But we know this because of that. It doesn't always happen that way, at least right before our very eyes. We don't always see justice served immediately. You can do the right thing. Have you experienced this? You can make good moral choices. You can even determine and commit within your heart that you're going to live the best possible life or, or live a life that seeks to please God and you're committed to that and you love Jesus and you're going after that with everything within you and make good choices. And what do we discover in this life? Life will still throw you curveballs. Do you get that one right? Sometimes it doesn't just throw you a curveball. Sometimes you don't even get a high and tight brush back warning pitch. Sometimes you get a fastball that beans you right in the head. That's how life is in this world in which we live. It's broken, and in those times, life wounds us. Because of the brokenness, we get hurt. We go through mistreatments in life. 
not just being in a victim mentality, but I want to just say this. There are legitimate victims in society where you've perhaps been victimized in some kind of way and life has wounded you. And it's in those times that our attitudes are greatly tested, aren't they? Where our attitudes are tested, our responses are tested, our response to what's happened in life is tested. I mean, there are ways that we're wounded. See if you relate to some of these, and these are just broad here, but unfortunate circumstances is what some of us will go through. And what I mean by that is just when painful things happen to good people, or just people in general, in general, right? I mean, I want to just say that we all are sinners, right? And so we all, Scripture says, deserve death, okay? But I'm just talking about beyond that theological thought. Just when you do the right thing and unfortunate circumstances still happen, maybe you were going about your business and, and all of a sudden you get a tough medical diagnosis and you're too young for what they're saying is happening to you, right? And you're like, what? Where did that come from? Out of left field, the next thing you know, you're dealing with something like that. I know folks within our church have, have gotten that diagnosis of cancer, and you're trying to figure out what the next steps are and how to do that. Or maybe some of you, you lost a job, and that's just been a hardship, and life was going along really well for you at that point. And the next thing you know, you're standing out in the parking lot with your box full of stuff. You're like, what just happened? Unfortunate circumstances, or some of you have experienced, most all of you have experienced the loss of a loved one. If you haven't, you will. And you go through that, and it's an unfortunate... Sometimes they're, maybe it's, they weren't even elderly, and they were younger, and you're going, what happened? You know, I don't understand how this happened. And in fact, this morning, I was on, when I was on my way early this morning to, to church, I was driving down the road, coming out of my neighborhood... Uh, and, and, when, and what I'm talking about is just when things just happen, right? And I was coming out of my neighborhood, on my way to church, ready to preach the gospel today, uh, ready to do the right thing for the Lord, and I'm looking in the road, uh, coming around the curve there, close to Peden Road there, and as I'm coming around, I notice that the car that is coming towards me, it doesn't look like they are in the other lane. They were completely in my lane, going about 60 miles an hour, I'm probably doing about 50 miles an hour coming up that hill there. And at the last second, I I turn off and I'm honking my horn. I'm like, oh my goodness, I nearly just died right there. That would have been the unfortunate circumstance that I'm talking about today, right? If my wife is in here, that would have been bad, right, honey, right? But it would have been good for me. I would have gone to heaven. But I thought about my family the whole time I was driving in. I thought about how hard that would be on them. I thought about my church family. I thought, how, I thought about Randy having to t- pick this up and, and go, hey, Pastor Bart got killed this morning. Hey, let's worship together. You know, that would be a tough transition, right? But I was just thinking about that. But I'm talking about those things that just happen where you don't, you're not expecting them. And, and in this broken world, you, maybe it's not even a consequence of something you did directly, right? But just the brokenness in the world, the fallen world in which we live, which by the way, will only be remedied by the return of Jesus Christ. And oh, how we long for that. Amen, right? But this world is broken until then. And so there are bad things that happen in this world. We've all gone through these kinds of things, and they don't seem fair. And these times are always just such a test of faith in, in, in our relationship with God. Here's another thing that you'll probably relate to is when you experience unfair treatment from other people. 
Whenever, you, whenever somebody has intentionally done something wrong or intentionally hurt you or they came after you in some kind of way, maybe you're the one that took a stand at your job. There were unethical things that were happening and you stood up and said, no, I'm not going to do that. And the next thing you know, you're the one that's being framed up. You're the one that's losing your job. You're the one that's being persecuted for something, right? And, 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 and you end up losing your job for doing the right thing. That's unfair treatment from other people. It's a mistreatment in your life. Or maybe you're, maybe you're a boss and you've had workers that have not worked well for you and they've, tr- they've said ugly things about you. And I mean, it goes both ways. People hurt each other all the time. Or maybe coworkers where you work, they're saying horrible things about you or they look down upon you. They don't treat you right. That's mistreatment. It's a mistreatment that people experience. You're not respected or they walk all over you. Maybe within your marriage something happened and it went south and maybe somebody walked out in that marriage or there was an infidelity. You've been mistreated. For some of you, you've been abused verbally, physically in some cases. It's a mistreatment or somebody did something to hurt you. Maybe a parent mistreated you whenever you were a child and you still carry that wound. You were mistreated. In some cases, children mistreat their parents in, in a lot of ways. You know, it goes both ways. Or you've had a brother or sister, a family member. Sometimes the deepest wounds come from places we expect it the least, right? A brother or a sister mistreated you. They've turned on you and you're struggling with that. These kinds of mistreatments really can leave us confused. You try to do right. You're trying to love people. You're trying to love God. And the next thing you know, you're on the outs. And you're like, what happened? Why did this happen to me? These mistreatments are so painful when you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to do right. You're trying to live for God. You're trying to make good decisions. I remember whenever I was a student pastor, I had a, a teenager who came to me and, and, and said that she was trying to be sexually pure and save herself for marriage. And because of that, she was, she was struggling because her boyfriend was pressuring her to engage in premarital sex. And he broke up with her and she was upset. She's like, I did the right thing. And I'm like, well, you can't see it right now, but it's a good thing you're out of that relationship. But you can't see it now. But she's like, I did the right thing. Or or maybe you're a student and you're at school and you're trying to live for Christ and you're trying to stand up for him and you're persecuted because of that. Or you're made fun of for doing the right things. Whenever I was a student at Boswell High School and I decided to actually start living for Jesus my junior year in high school, instead of being kind of the closet Christian that I'd been before that, I decided to really start expressing my faith and just not being ashamed of Jesus. And I found out who my friends were really quickly. And a lot of them kind of walked out of my life and they didn't want to be around me. And I'm like, God, I was trying to do the right thing. I wanted to live for you. And now I feel alone. Have you been there, right? Mistreatment from others, and some of you have experienced that. I can't help but think of one of my, my heroes of the faith. I've shared some of her story with you before, but her name is Corey Ten Boom. Some of you know her story very well. I shared a few weeks ago some of her incredible quotes that just are so rich and with depth of spiritual maturity. And uh, where did that spiritual maturity come from? Well, it came from a prison experience that she had. As she and her father and her sister Betsy, uh, as she tells the story in her book called The Hiding Place, they were Christians 
in the Netherlands and Jews who were being persecuted by the Nazis and who were uh, being put in the death camps. They were hiding Jews inside that place there of their home and they were found out and they, not even being Jews, were put in that place uh, 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 of one of those concentration camps. Betsy died there. Her father died there. Corrie ten Boom lived through that experience and lived a long life, but she talks about that experience and all the injustice and the, the, the questions there, right? When you go through things like that, it's like, God, where are you in this? By the way, God has really used her life to impact millions of people. But it's, it's just another example of somebody doing the right thing and they suffer because of it. They do the right thing and they're persecuted or it still hurts, right, uh, as you go through those things. And, and here's, the, here's the next one here is untrue accusations. This probably more than anything, it, it still hurts, but it's, it's just when someone says something about you that's not true. And it is a mistreatment. It's an intentional thing that they do where they say something or they prejudge you. And more than anything, this is frustrating, but it does still hurt. It still hurts emotionally. Uh, They gossiped about you. They slandered you. They talk behind your back. That's so frustrating. They said these things about you and the people they said them to, they don't know any better. Maybe they don't give you the benefit of the doubt, so they believe those things about you. And now people are thinking that this is the truth about you. Isn't that very frustrating, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, what happened here? I I liken it to this. Like, have you ever dropped a piece of paper in the parking lot or something like that? And you go to to pick that piece of paper up and then what happens? Wind blows and and you're trying to collect it. You're trying to corral it. But as soon as you get there, the wind blows and you can't get it. Well, whenever these untrue accusations occur in our lives and you're trying to corral it, it's like wildfire sometimes, right? And the next thing you know, you're dealing with something. You're like, what in the world happened? The damage has been done, whether it's true about you or not. Untrue accusations, they hurt. And I found this out as a pastor a long time ago, that people very much will talk about you behind your back rather than to your face. You experience that one? All of you have. We all go through that. And so you've got these unfortunate circumstances You've got these untrue accusations. You you have these mistreatments of others, right? Whenever you see that, or unfair treatment of others. And and even when we do the right thing in our nature, what do we want to do? We want to fight back. I'm going to get even. I'll get my revenge. It's within our flesh. That's what we desire to do. Or, or I'm going to set the record straight. Or I'm going to let everybody know how I really feel about this. And if we're not careful... This legitimate anger, and it is legitimate anger. It doesn't even have to be sinful anger as we've learned about that. You can get legitimately, righteously angry about those things. But if we don't manage that anger, here's what happens. We get locked into a prison, and it is a prison of bitterness, self-imposed prison where you're kind of locked up, whether it's just an unfortunate circumstance as life has dealt you a tough blow, Um, an unfair treatment by another person and you're bitter at them or bitter about what's happened or or just these untrue accusations and you're just bitter because you're trying to collect this data and, and, and correct it with people and you're frustrated and we can just be in this place of this 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 bitterness that can overwhelm our lives and we're locked up in that a self-imposed just a self-imposed prison 
And it's because this world in which we live in right now is a world that is filled with brokenness. It's a broken world until Jesus comes back. Even moral choices you make can sometimes cost you in this immediate time. Sometimes we may even be tempted to think this when you do the right thing, right? I know you've probably thought this. Man, is it even worth it? Is it worth it to do the right thing? That's a limited way of thinking of things, but we can wonder that. Sometimes we can wonder, is God even really good? Is God really good? Is there, there's a lot of emotion when you start looking at circumstances like this that is attached to these kinds of things. You're probably feeling some of that now if you're one of the ones that uh, today that you're dealing with a situation like that. It, you get emotional in this, and that's okay. Peter underscored this. He was writing to a group of Christians that were suffering, and they were doing the right thing, which was living for Christ. And they were trying to stand up in their faith for Christ. And Peter tried to encourage them to endure, to not give up, as they were probably tempted to throw in the towel and say, what's the point? What's the use? And so he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure, what does it say next, church? Unjust treatment. Unjust treatment. Of course, he says, and he's, now at this point he's talking to slaves who are Christians who are working for masters there, and he says, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, right? And we see circumstances that happen and consequences, and sometimes that's the case. But, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. He's pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ has suffered for you. He says, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. And so he gives us an example. He he doesn't say, just do this. He says, let me show you someone who has done this. And this place of struggling for doing the right thing is exactly where some of you may be today. You maybe are in this place where you're just struggling. You did the right thing. Maybe you feel like you're in a prison of bitterness today. Maybe it happened a long time ago, but you're bitter still today as you're dealing with this. Or you've been mistreated in some kind of way. Or someone has misjudged you. Or you got uh, unrighteously terminated at work. Or there are people have been talking about you behind your back. And you've had people that you counted on in your life. And now they've walked out of your life. Maybe you feel betrayed. Or you, you did the right thing, but you paid a high price. How do we handle that? What do we do with that? We're in this series looking at this great man, this young man named Joseph in this series called The Comeback. And if anybody understood this, Joseph did. Let's just keep digging in on his life. If you haven't been here, let me just catch you up. We've learned that he was treated terribly, first of all, as a young man in his teens by his brothers. They hated him. They plotted his murder because their father favored him. And they were plotting to murder him. Instead of murdering him, they threw him in this pit, uh, thinking about what they were going to do to take him out. But we know this, that Ishmaelite traders, by the sovereign hand of God, slave traders came by. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. I mean, all very suddenly, in a moment's notice, this young man's life went south. He went from the prosperous son now to the pitiful slave. 
He went on the south road to Egypt, and he was in Egypt there where he was sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar wasn't just any man. Potiphar was the captain of the Pharaoh's bodyguard. He also was the chief executioner. He was a man who was very powerful. And again, you can look back and see the sovereign hand of God at work in all of these circumstances. But don't you know that as Joseph was going through it, he must have been thinking, what in the world is going on? Are you kidding me? Right? And so he's sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. And rather than being bitter, he begins to bloom right where he's planted, even in Egypt, that difficult place. Potiphar, who is not a follower of Jehovah, notices something very different about Joseph, notices that the God of, of Israel was in Joseph's life, and he begins, to, he begins to see that Joseph is favored by God and that God was with him, and so he promotes him, puts him in this great place uh, within this, uh, his master's household where he's over-managing everything within the house. Right? And, and we don't see Joseph plotting revenge. We don't see him addicted to anything. We don't see him bitter. We see him just with his nose to the grindstone, and he's just continuing to pursue God. But then, now you'd think as he's promoted, that'd be a great place in the Bible for a happily ever after. But that's not what you find. You find his story continues in the midst of all the prosperity as Joseph is on the rise now again in his 20s. And he's doing better now. He's still in Egypt, but he's been promoted. Now he's in control, though. We see that Satan couldn't take him down in the pit. So Satan was going to attempt to take him down in another way that has taken many a man down. And that was through sensual temptation. We talked about it last week. Scripture tells us that Joseph was good looking. In the Hebrew, it's hubba hubba. Okay, that's the way it translates. We saw, and what's interesting is scripture says, not hubba hubba, but it does say he's good looking. And the women were starting to notice him. They were noticing this Hebrew slave, but it wasn't just any woman that noticed him. It was a powerful woman, a woman who was married to a powerful man, Potiphar, his boss, his owner. And so she notices him, and what do we see last week? She begins to make very aggressive sexual advances towards him. I mean, we see she is aggressive, and he's in his, he's in his 20s. He's full of testosterone. Some of you maybe need to remember that. I don't know. But anyhow, he's there, and, and he's, he's a young man. He's not a eunuch. He's a young man. But he stood up for what was right. What did scripture say that he did? He refused her. Oh, and I wish I could say that it got good after that for him, but it didn't. What did he say? He said, how can I do such a wicked thing? He calls it what it is, that if he were to do this, not the temptation, but if he were to engage in sin with her, he said, how could I do this? He chose, he chose what? His loyalties over his lust. He could have very easily at this point caved in and justified and said, I've been done wrong in life. I am a victim. I deserve this. I deserve some relief. He doesn't do this. He chooses his loyalties to Potiphar, because I really think he cares about Potiphar. And he also, more than anything, says, how could I do this to my God? 
God who has been with me in all of this. How could I do this? And again, it's at this part of the story that you're like, man, he took a stand for morality. Somebody did the right thing, right? Maybe the story ends there and and he goes straight to the palace. No, he doesn't. You know the story. What do we see? Unfortunate circumstance, unfair treatment, untrue accusations. All at this point, let's pick up in the scriptures in Genesis 39. It says this in verse 10, Mrs. Potiphar keeps pursuing him. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. Temptations never won and done. It keeps coming after you. But he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. We said, that's a good strategy. As much as possible, don't put yourself in those places. He was doing the right things. But one day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work, still doing the right thing. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding Come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Again, he did the right thing. He got out of there. He didn't didn't flirt with it. He didn't, you know, banter back and forth. He didn't tempt temptation, as we said last week. He got out of there. And, and you know, and, and, and you'd, you'd think and at this point that this would be, again, a promotion immediately. But it isn't what happened. So she screams. And as culture says, hell hath no fury like a scorned woman. She screams, but not so much. She says she was screaming in rape, but we see the true story. But she was screaming because she had probably never been told no before. She's frustrated and mad. And just like everyone else in Joseph's life, she went from affection to animosity in a split second. And now look what happens. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of of us. She's starting to rally the troops. You see that? He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. That's the place that goes dun, 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 okay? And if it were a movie, then she told him her story. Now, notice she says this again. That Hebrew slave, it's interesting she has to say it like that, that you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. And at this point in the story, it's like everything within me is like saying, God, you got to intervene right here. He's in a bad spot right here. We want God to bail him out somehow. And and on the surface, we look at this story with our our limited view, and we look at this and, and we're like, Can you imagine just being Joseph at this point? Put yourself in his place, in his shoes there, and you did the right thing. You even got out of there. And now they're coming to you and they're accusing you of something that is so heinous. And you're like, what? What is going on here? He's getting framed up. He's being lied about. Untrue accusations. Verse 19, Potiphar was furious. Remember who Potiphar is? Chief executioner. Not good for Joseph. 
chief of the executioners, not a man to be messed with, when he, when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. That was the dungeon. It was the innermost part. It was a terrible place. And there he remained. Do you think when he was in that dungeon, do you think Joseph must have been thinking, are you kidding me? Really? God, I tried to do the right thing here. As a side note, I can't prove this, but it is interesting to think. uh, If Potiphar, who was the chief of the executioners, could have killed a slave on the spot for a thing like this. Doesn't it make you wonder if he really believed his wife? Or if he believed Joseph, but he was maybe politically trapped, but he didn't have, and I'm just speculating, okay? But he didn't have maybe enough character to do the right thing at this point. It happens. People get railroaded. Injustice is happening. He's in Pharaoh's dungeon. If, if you're Joseph, what would have been going through your mind at this point? What would you have been thinking? He did the right thing. He's paying the price for doing the right thing. He's being mistreated again. He's going to have to start all over again. You ever felt that way? Do you think he wondered where God was in all of this? God, are you, do you love me? Are you, are you there? You know, we were singing earlier the song Cornerstone and and. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about this this week, but as I was singing it in the first service, it said, when darkness seems to hide his face. Have you ever experienced that? Where it's like you can't see him at work. You, you know he's there. Or sometimes maybe you even wonder if he's there. I wonder if he thought, where are you, God? Where are you in this unfortunate circumstance? Where are you in the untrue accusations? Where are you in the unfair treatment that I'm experiencing? Even Jesus said when he was on the cross, my God, my God, why? Right? We all go to those places at certain times. And if there ever was a time for Joseph to grow bitter, this was the place. This was the time. At this moment, was God even there? Well, the passage is going to address this, and you're going to see a theme emerge Okay, here's what it says. Look at what it says about God. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph, where? In the prison. In the prison. And he showed him his faithful love. God never left him. And maybe, maybe just some of us need to hear that today. A few weeks ago in the message, one of the points was that God was with Joseph and God is also with you. But I just noticed that it comes up again in chapter 39. It's in chapter 37, it's in chapter 39. And maybe the theme for us is that we need to keep hearing this. We need to keep understanding that in the good times, yes, God is with us in in, in those good times. In the pit experience, he's with us. God was with Joseph even on the southbound road to Egypt. God was with Joseph even in Potiphar's household. God is still with Joseph even in the prison experience. God is there. Never left him. Never left him in the untrue accusations. Never left him in the unjust treatments and the unfortunate prison. He's never left you either. When darkness seems to hide his face, there's this place, the story is in here to remind us that God is still with us. And some of us maybe just needed to hear this. Look at, look at God's continual hand of kindness and favor on Joseph. It says this as we continue. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Here we go again, right? 
Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Here we go again. He's being promoted yet again. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Didn't we just read this with Potiphar? Where all he was concerned with was what he was going to eat now? Here it goes again. God is blessing Joseph. God was with him. God's with him in this place. The Lord was with him. Do you see it? Keep saying it over and over again. I think it's saying that because so often we forget it. And maybe we don't feel it. And maybe we don't believe it. He was with him in everything. And he caused everything that he did to succeed. Joseph gets knocked down over and over again. But because of God in his life, God's presence in his life, the Holy Spirit presence, yes, that we sang about, you can't keep him down. Knocked down, but never knocked out. Maybe that's your experience. So what if you're the one who's in the prison today? What if you're the one that... Maybe it's because of an untrue accusation and you're bitter over it. Or maybe it's just, just life's just been tough for you in this world that we live in and has dealt you a rough hand. How do you handle this? Someone once said this, that, and I don't know who it is, it said source unknown, but life is 10% of what happens and 90% of how you respond to it. That's powerful. Our application is this. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control your response. We can't control all the things that happen, but we can control the responses. Uh, And so how do you you respond when life does you like this or when someone else has mistreated you? How do you respond to something like this? Responding to mistreatment, if you're taking some notes, here's some application for us today. Write this down. Number one is is that we have to trust... We have to trust that God is close and that God is in control. And and I don't mean this to sound redundant from a few weeks ago, but again, I think it's God's repeating this for us because we need to hear it again. God is close, even in the prison. He's in control, even in the prison. Right, The hand of God was at work in Joseph's prison experience. It was most likely in the prison experience that God became most real to Joseph. Where he really experienced the presence of the Lord. The other night, last Sunday night in our life group, we were talking about Joseph and his experience. And just the, the hard place. And I think the question was, you know, where have you felt God at work most in your life? And, and my wife is quiet. She's in the service. Probably doesn't like me talking about this. But I kind of asked her about this. But I may be in trouble. I may get mistreatment later. Um, but no, it would be justice, wouldn't it? Um, but she said this, okay? And it was just so powerful. It was a powerful moment in our life group. She said this. She said, it's whenever I look at my life and I look at the hard things in my life. When my mom and dad got divorced when I was 14, my heart hurts for her in that and dealing with that as a teenager. Whenever we had a miscarriage and the hurt that happens in that, uh, certainly whenever her twin sister, who she loves very much, went through the loss of her husband to cancer around five years ago, not only did it hurt us, because we love Dan, but watching someone and a family, his family that we love, we know Dan's in heaven, but his family hurt. Watching someone you love hurt like that. She had some injustice happen uh, a couple of years ago at 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 a place where she was working. 
God, God really did a great thing in her life through that. But still, she said, but it's in those moments that I felt like I was closest to God. And there were hard moments. But she said his presence was so close to me. That's when my walk was deepest with him. Joseph's in this prison experience, and he must have come to this place of brokenness where he, where he threw up his hands, but not in disgust. But, but maybe it was this. Maybe it's just abandonment to God's plan for his life. God, I don't get all of this, but I, I have to know this, that you are still in control. He must have had a not my will be done, but thy will be done moment. Where my hands are open to you, God. I can't fix any of these things. These false accusations that have happened against me, God. My life has to be in your hands. You have to be the one that sets the record straight. It was Joseph who stayed near to the Lord and how God nurtured his soul while he was in the prison. And God continued to promote him even in that prison experience. God remained first in Joseph's life. God remained the focus. It's not that he didn't struggle. I think he did. But he probably went through a refining process that God was taking him through. Because here's the thing. He didn't get to go straight to the palace. God had to take him through some places and chip away at some things that were in his life. And God would use even some of those things were, that were unfortunate circumstances in his life to get him ready for a greater assignment that was coming. God was sovereign over everything. We can look back. But don't you know, while Joseph was going through it, he couldn't see all of that. He couldn't see what was going on. At some time, at some point, this is for all of us today. In our walk, if we want to make it through these tough places, we have to come to this place of this right here. It's just called this. It's just called surrender. So I say, God, I don't, I don't understand it all. Your ways are certainly high. I, I don't like it. But God, I trust that you are close. And God, I trust that you're in control. Here's a point for us today. You see, God is not just sometimes sovereign. God is... Sovereign over all things. Good things in our life, yes. And this is hard, but even the bad things. He's still sovereign over these things. Whatever you're going through, it may have you confused right now, but you need to know God's not confused. Whatever you're experiencing right now is not beyond him. God is not bewildered by your circumstance right now. He's not trying to figure out. He's not wringing his hands, as you've heard us say it, trying to figure out what are we going to do about their problem. And I don't know how he does it, but he says his ways are higher than our ways. He finds ways. I don't know how he does it. That's why he's God. He finds ways of even using these things that evil intended to harm us. But God can use them and reweave them in our lives. That's what he does. He's the master weaver. He's present with you in the prison. He's working in your situation. In fact, I think it was the prison experience that God, that God used to shape and prepare Joseph for his next and most important assignment. What situation are you going through that maybe you've been holding on to that today is the day that God's saying, I want you to let this go to me. 
It's not that I don't want you to, to be actively involved, but I want you to give this to me. Here's what we have to do. We have to trust in God's training. That's another response is to trust in his training. And you're going to see this word trust come up a lot. Trust that he's training. God was actively training Joseph for what was next in his life. God was refining him, chipping these character defects away. Joseph was not a perfect man. What if he'd gone straight to the palace with no brokenness and then he became a dictator? But God was getting him ready. God was making his heart soft. Psalms 105, the psalmist saw this and he said this. says, then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. That is the people of Israel. Who was it that he sent? Joseph, who was sold as a slave. The psalmist is seeing the sovereign hand of God at work. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Does that sound painful? Absolutely. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams. Another translation says his word. The Lord tested Joseph's character. He tests us in these places that we're in. He's testing our character. He's making us more like Jesus. He's, he's refining us in these difficult and, and places in our life. He's not wasting our pain. It's so often in these places, these tough places, that God is making us into the people that he wants us to be for his purpose. And I'm not saying what you're going through is good. It is not. Scripture's not even saying that it is good. But here's the thing. God, because he is God, is going to use it in your life. And he's going to use it for your glory. Look at what the psalmist also writes. This is interesting that he would say this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I might learn your statutes. In other words, that I might learn what you're really all about, God. I learn more about your character in these dark places. I learn more about the fact that you're faithful in these difficult times. Here's the other thing, if, you, if God, God is getting you ready, but here's the other thing you've got to do, and our response needs to be this, is that we've got to trust that God is the one that sets the record straight. If you've been falsely accused, if you've been done wrong, you know, God is still sovereign even over your reputation. He's still sovereign. And my sick way of thinking about things, because I can have a little demented sense of humor here, I wonder if when Joseph does get promoted to the palace, when that happens and he's in control, I, would, I was starting to just let my mind just wander a little bit. I was wondering if when he ran into Mrs. Potiphar then, if he just kind of smiled, like, expect it when you least expect it, lady. It's coming. <laughs> or did he say, how do you like me now? That's the, that's the title of one of the messages coming up, by the way. How do you like me now, lady? At some point, I mean, would you have wanted to say that? Yeah, I would have. Seriously, I think at some point, Joseph had to just decide to let go of the desire to set things straight. And trust that God is the just one. That nothing escapes his eye. You may go through injustice right now. 
You may experience that right now. But but at some point, we have to trust that God will take care of me, that God is my shield, that God is my defender, even over my reputation. Back to that Peter, 1 Peter passage. Uh, Remember, Peter said to suffer like Jesus, suffer well like Jesus. Look when when he says what Jesus' response was when he was falsely accused. 1 Peter 2.23, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. This is, this is for us today. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. God gets the final word, not our accusers or our gossips. God gets the final word. By the way, you've heard it before. Living well is the best kind of revenge, right? Not out of spite, but just because you can't control. You're not hurting the other person if you're bitter. You're hurting yourself. You're drinking your own poison there. He's sovereign over what people even say about us. Some of us need to hear this today. This is a word for some of you today, okay? You need to let it go. Let it go. Open your hands. Let it go to him. Trust that God is just. Trust that God's going to take care of you. Do what Jesus and Joseph did. Let that anxiety go. Let that, let that desire for revenge go. Let these things go. Here's the fourth and final thing. A response is this, is we have to choose. This is a choice to live in victory rather than as a victim. Even if you've been victimized, and some of you really have been, But here is the thing. I was thinking this week, even if you are a victim, living like a victim continuously is is not helping you. It's not going to help you to continue living in that manner. You don't, when you look at Joseph who was done wrong, we don't see him living as a victim. You see him beginning to bloom wherever he's planted, right? You see him, we don't see him constantly complaining. I'm not saying you you don't have a right to, to express things, right, or express things. I'm just saying we don't see this mentality, this victim mentality. He lived as an overcomer. God blessed that within him. He didn't live as a victim, even though he was one. His response to injustice and mistreatment is such a powerful example for us. He didn't deserve prison, but he responded to it beautifully. He suffered well. And what this shows us is that you and I can do the same. We can do the same. Living as a victim is not going to help us Last verse right here, 1 Peter 4, 19. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And now here's the big message for us. And trust, trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. That's what Peter said to them, and he says to us. This word trust, it's actually an accounting term, and it means this, to deposit your life into the hands of God. You're trusting. You're depositing your life into God's hands. As we close, I came across this quote from Nelson Mandela, as you know, as I've shared his story a little bit over the last few months. Imprisoned unjustly for 27 years, probably struggled with bitterness as we had in prison at times. Who wouldn't? But this is what he said whenever he was freed. This is what he said to himself. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, 
I'd still be in prison. You see, you've been made to be free in Jesus, not to live bitter. In fact, if you choose to live bitter, you might just miss, I'm not talking about heaven here, but you might just miss the promotion and the palace experience that God wants to work in your life. I want to just invite us to prayer right now, if we can just pray. Are you in this prison of bitterness today? Well, we see that Jesus has come to set us free. He gave us this example of not being bitter, of of putting our lives, depositing our lives into the hands of God. And so our response this morning is perhaps some of us today, we need to just come to a place of surrender. Surrender in the unfortunate circumstance that you find. Surrender means trust. It's opening your hands to God. It's letting go. Trusting Him. Not living as a victim, but as a victor, because you are that in Jesus Christ. It's trusting Him in the untrue accusations. It's trusting Him even if you've been unfairly treated It's trusting and knowing that God is sovereign, that God will set the record straight. God doesn't want us to live as a victim, but victoriously. This morning, if you're struggling today and just it's a great day to be here, God is here with you. God is in the prison experience with you. But if you're struggling today, you just say, Pastor Bart, I'm really going through it right now nobody else looking around, would you just quietly just lift up your hand and just say, will you just pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to have anybody else come to you, but just lift it up. Just, just say, God, that's me. I'm struggling today. Even if you don't feel like lifting your hands, here's what we need to do right now. We need to open our hands to God. We need to let these things go to him. Jesus said, come to me. I'm the one that will give you rest. Give your anxieties to him. Give your revenge to him. He said, vengeance is mine, not yours. Give your situation to him. Give your pain to him. Let your bitterness go to him today. Drop all of those things and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Seek him first. He said, and all these things will be added to you as well. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He loves you so much. Place your faith in Jesus. He wants to redeem all of this pain in your life. Father, we praise you today that you are the sovereign God over everything in our life. You are always working even when we can't see you at work. And we trust you today. May our surrender to you today be a sweet sacrifice to you God it doesn't make sense in our minds but would you strengthen our faith would you minister to your people would you heal hearts today God and set us free Lord so that we could be the men and women that you've called us to be in this community 
That is my prayer for us all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close today, I want to invite you to stand with us. You know this song. Most of you do. But I really want you, even if you don't sing, I want you to think about every lyric, every word today. And make this your offering back to God in response to the message you've heard today. Let's sing to the Lord. strength within the sorrow 